Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we are positively obsessed with dog behavior. Join us each week as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and ex- interview experts in the field of behavior. My name is Kayla Fratt, and I'm the owner of Journey Dog Training. Today, I'm talking to Megan Lundberg about puppies. Megan runs the Puppy Day School program at Canine Coach and spends nearly 30 hours a week with puppies who are between nine weeks and nine months old. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm dealing with some pretty serious puppy fever over here right now. Um, But I also have these really deep-seated puppy fears. Puppies are so full of potential, but there also is just so much to them, and there's so much to do. So um, why don't we start at the beginning, Megan? Um, What are you looking for when you're trying to pick a puppy, and what do you suggest to owners if they come to you before they have a puppy in their home? So when I'm looking for a puppy, I'm first looking at different breeds and I'm researching for their size, their grooming needs, their usual personality traits to determine what type of dog will be right for my household, as well as any training goals I have. Whether you end up getting a puppy from a responsible breeder or a great rescue or a shelter, you can learn a lot about what you're interested in by researching different breeds. Uh, With their personality, I look for a balance of traits, and that's what I encourage owners to do as well. There's no right or wrong. It's just about what type of dog is going to fit best with your family. So some of the traits I consider are things like their clinginess versus their independence. Does the puppy want to stay near people and always be touched by people? Or does she prefer to be exploring and doing things by herself? Another thing I look at is their confidence. Do they immediately run up to new things and check them out? Um, Do they observe a little bit and then check things out? Or are they really cautious and hesitant? Another big one I look at is their biddability, and that refers to how easy it is to get their attention and train with them, or if they kind of disconnect easily. And similar to that, we have their patience versus pushiness. If you're playing with your puppy and then stop, do they wait and try to re-engage with you, even if that's by mouthing you or jumping on you and barking at you, or do they kind of wander off as soon as you're done? (laughs) Um, so the persistence is again, kind of related to that same thing where if there's something she wants, does she try really hard to get it or do they try a little bit and then give up? Another thing I look at is vocalizing. Some people like puppies that are really vocal and barky and some people want a puppy that's much more quiet. So you can look at that vocalizing and see if your puppy is a talker or if they're pretty quiet and you can look in the context of play and also when they're frustrated. If you're going through a responsible breeder, they will be asking you all kinds of questions to get to know you, your family, your lifestyle, and your goals, and will typically match you with a puppy rather than having you pick, as they know their puppies best, and the puppy you see in the 10 minutes or hour when you go to visit is not giving you the whole picture of who that puppy is. Breeders who do temperament evaluations find a lot of value in using the results to help place puppies, but beyond that, it's very much up to the new owners as to how the puppy will grow up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, also the cool thing, if you do manage to go through breeders or if the puppies were born in a shelter or rescue that does fostering, you also um, getting to know the parents as much as possible can be really helpful. Obviously, again, with shelters or rescues, that's often not possible. But going through most breeders, um, those breeders are going to know the puppies, half siblings, um, the parents and the parents of the parents and the siblings of the parents and looking at um, all of those different um, relatives as much as possible um, can be really, really helpful um, as far as knowing kind of what your puppy is going to most likely grow up to be. Um, Because, you know, and again, this is where it's really helpful to have someone pair you with a puppy because I know um, it's very hard for me to look at a litter even as someone who's relatively experienced with dogs, but it's very hard for me to look at a litter and kind of know 
what I'm seeing and how that's going to translate into an adult dog. Absolutely. So um, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. Let's say, okay, so we've we've picked out our puppy. Um, we're heading home. What should owners expect in those first few hours and even first few days with their puppy? That first moment you arrive home with your puppy is so, so exciting. And you feel like you want to show them everything, your whole house, the whole yard, and all their toys and their bed and meet your other pets and all the people in your family. And that's an <laughs> overwhelming amount of information for your new puppy. So the biggest thing to expect is that your puppy's going to be overwhelmed and stressed. Their entire world just changed. They don't have their litter mates there. They don't know you yet. They don't know where they are. And for most puppies, that's pretty scary. Some handle the change no problem, but it's more normal for puppies to be reserved and cautious and not very playful for the first few hours, if not the first few days. Mm -hmm. And you can also, just jumping in, you can also see puppies that... Um, I think more and more I've been thinking about how puppies and adult dogs as well can look really happy. There's lots of jumping and wagging and barking, but that actually can be another sign of stress. Um, So sometimes when we're seeing puppies that look frantically happy, um, they're just as stressed, if not more stressed than a puppy who's actually just kind of curled up under the couch, feeling very, very very overwhelmed. So. And it's going to depend on your individual puppy, and there's probably there's some breed tendencies that might um, play into what you're going to end up seeing. Absolutely. And so the first experiences your puppy has right when they get home are important. Um, the way that I do it is I have the puppy area set up before my puppy comes home. My favorite puppy setup that I use is I lay down a shower pan liner, which is like a heavy rubber lining you can get from a home improvement store. It's 100% waterproof, it's heavy enough, it doesn't wrinkle up, it's really easy to clean, and it's tough. So I get a five by six foot section, and I set a crate on that, and then I put an exercise pen around the crate. In the crate, there's bedding, and then in the pen, there's a couple toys and chews, you can have a water bowl, and that gives them more room to set up. I have this set up at the edge of my main living area, that way the puppy's included They're not isolated and they can get accustomed to the daily routines and activity, but they're not totally surrounded or feeling vulnerable. And then I use this setup all through puppy raising so I can't, when I can't be supervising and guiding my puppy's interactions and their curiosity, I know that she's safe and can entertain herself. So for example, if I'm in the kitchen cooking, I can see my puppy and she can be hanging out in her pen. But if I'm out of the room, like if I'm you know, going out to the store or I need to go upstairs for a while, I'm going to put her in her crate. So that way she's not learning to escape from the pen either. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have our puppy and we have, our, we have everything set up first. And then right when you get home, the very first thing I do is I take my puppy in the backyard by herself to potty if she needs to. We do this on leash as I don't want her to dart off if something spooks her. And then whether she went potty or not, the next step is to be carried inside. I have every door in the house closed. My other pets are put away, well out of the way, out of sight, such as in an upstairs bedroom. And your spouse or a friend can be doing that and putting your other pets away while you have your puppy out pottying right when you get home. I typically don't leave the leash on, but you can keep it on if you feel the need to, as long as it's kept loose so your puppy isn't pulling you through the house. If you get home and your puppy's really sleepy or seems really overwhelmed, then I will put them straight into their pen and sometimes just sit with them calmly. Um, Or if they need a nap, you can just let them nap. Their whole world, again, it just changed and that can be really scary. And so it's normal for some puppies to just need some time to hang out and observe and not want to jump right into exploring. And that's 100% normal. 
If your puppy's awake and curious, I'll set them down and follow them as they check out the house. As I said, every door is closed, so their world is starting small and safe, and that's really important for a new puppy to feel safe. They don't need to see everything all at once. Start small and safe, make everything easy with limited chances for getting into things they shouldn't, limited chances of something startling or scaring them, and their world can slowly expand. After checking things out, or maybe even during, they may need to go out to potty, especially if they didn't right before you came in. So take them out to take a potty again if you think they need to, and then it's time to go in their pen and rest and relax and take things in. With my personal dogs and cats, this is the point that I'll let them out and they can sniff noses with the new puppy through the pen. If my dogs are a bit too excited, I'll have treats so I can reward them for lying down and being a little more still and more calm and so they don't scare the puppy. And I've also mm -hmm. sometimes put a second pen around that pen that's around the crate as an additional buffer if you have a puppy who needs more space and you don't quite want them going nose to nose yet. That's very smart. I love that idea. When you're interacting with your puppy from that first day and onward, you want to focus on inviting them to do things with you as much as possible. Invite them to play, invite them to snuggle, invite them to train, and take your cues from them as much as possible about what things they want to do, as overall that's going to strengthen your relationship, communication, your trust, and that builds, and as that builds more and more, they'll be open to your invitations. So instead of jumping on them with all their toys and trying to force them into doing things, invite them to the things you want to do and see what their response is. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, uh, I think we're so excited when we get a new puppy home that we want to shove all of the different things at them and show them how amazingly fun we are. And I think it's very easy for us to get, um, pretty overwhelming pretty quickly. And it's just cause we're so excited. Um, always. So, yeah. It's so yeah. exciting to have that new puppy and they have all these new toys and you want to play and go do everything. And it, it's too much for them if you do it all right away. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what are some of the common issues that you hear about from um, your owners and the, the owners of puppies that you deal with on a daily basis? So the most common issue by far that I talk to my clients about is biting. Puppies have these needle sharp, tiny little teeth that hurt and they tear you through your clothes and they make you bleed. And especially in homes with kids, people want that behavior gone. So that's a really, really common one that we talk about all the time. The first thing to understand why puppies are these terrible little land sharks, because obviously adult dogs aren't like that, um, and understanding why they're so bitey. Puppies explore the world with their mouths, and they're learning what is fun and good to chew on and how to use their mouth. And most importantly, they're learning what's called bite inhibition. Bite inhibition means learning how to control the force of their mouth. If you watch young puppies play, they'll be playing nicely and having a great time, and inevitably one will squeak and yelp when the other one bites too hard. Both puppies, you'll see them pause for a moment, then they go right back to playing. If the same puppy is again too rough and causes the other to squeak again, often the play will not resume after the pause and they'll take a break. What they're learning is how hard is too hard, and that when they are too hard with their mouth, that makes the play stop. Humans can imitate a puppy yelp or say ouch in a high tone, and that can help until the puppy is about 10 or 12 weeks old when squeaky noises start to become fun and exciting, like squeaky toys, mm. <laughs> instead of causing them to pause. Most people know how to do this yelp, and, and this is often taught in puppy classes, but personally, I rarely use it. Uh, and that's for a few reasons. First, it can scare your puppy and make them really hesitant to interact with you. 
And then it also doesn't seem to have quite the lasting effect as when puppies yelp at each other. I've had the same experience. I, uh, it's interesting. That's a good point that it probably is more effective with younger puppies because I also, I see people trying this with like six month old puppies and they very quickly end up with a puppy who knows that if they bite, they can make their pup, their owner make a very fun squealing sound. Yeah. And it, it, it causes them like the they jump up worse. and they get overexcited and it yeah. becomes way, way more exciting than it did when they were little babies. Yeah. Yeah. So it definitely, it's a very good point that, yeah, it, this might work at first with your little eight week old brand new pup. Um, but don't be surprised if as they get older, um, this method starts backfiring. Right. Right. So I find the best method is to be proactive in preventing the playful biting in the first place as much as possible. Anytime my puppy is out of their crater pen at home, I'm actively engaging with her. And that means we have toys around. Whether we're playing or training or outside to potty and explore the yard, hanging out on the couch, I always have a toy in my pocket or somewhere within reach really close by. In being proactive, I try to invite puppies to play with toys, ideally before they start trying to put their mouth on other things like me. Um, but mm -hmm. if she does start getting mouthy, then I always have a toy right there that's wiggling and ready for her and getting her attention with that. Along those lines, most people know that you can redirect biting onto toys, but all puppies will hit that point where they don't care about the toy and they're just chomping for your arms, your ankles, your shoes, your clothes. Some of them even leap up at your face. And at the very first sign of that, what I do is that play stops instantly and I pick my puppy up and put her in her crate. Personally, I'm really strict about teaching my dogs that human bodies are not toys and that playful biting on us does not work. Most often when your puppy gets in that mode, they're overtired, overstimulated, overexcited, and they need a nap anyway. So the crate's not a punishment. Mm -hmm. That's their safe spot where they can go and relax and calm down and take a break. Yeah. So I would imagine that as you're picking these puppies up and doing this, this is, you know, it's a, it's gentle and it, yes. but it's firm and it's not a, Hey, no bad dog in the crate with you. It's more just like, Oh, we screwed up. Now we're going into the crate and I'm leaving. That's exactly what it is. You know, they're getting chompy. Um, uh, the way that I'll pick puppies up when they're in this chompy sharky mode is to have my hands right behind their arms. So I'm supporting mm -hmm. them by their chest and then I support their rump against my stomach. So I'm pointing their head away from me and holding them <laughs> securely against my chest. They can't reach anything with their mouth at that point. And that's a safe way to hold them where they can't reach you either. That's that's a good extra tip. <laughs> um, so that said, the bite inhibition uh, is a crucial, important part of puppy development. And puppies do need to learn before those razor sharp teeth start falling out at about four months old. I do allow puppies to bite and chew on me, but only if they're doing so in a gentle, sweet, cuddly, non-playful sort of way so they can learn that bite inhibition, but they're not trying to play. It's just this very sweet, mouthing when we're cuddling. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Um, yeah. And I know there's a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, puppies can nip, they can bark, they can destroy <laughs> endless things. It seems like, um, I do think, you know, for chewing in particular, the, the setup that you've outlined, if people are able to follow that, that should do a very good job of keeping puppies from chewing. And if they just learn that like, Hey, bully sticks are chewing and we can get through the really, really chewy phase with that puppy play setup, I would imagine that does a very good job. Um, go ahead. 
I was going to say, yeah, it, uh, that setup really does do a great job because they don't have access to the things in your house that you don't want right. them to chew on. Anytime they're out, you're supervising them, making sure they're not chewing on your chair legs or your couches or your shoes, your remote control, your glasses, <laughs> any of those things we always have out because you're watching them. And then when you can't be watching, they're in their pen where there's only access to things they can chew on. Yeah. Um, so why don't we do a really quick run through of a little bit of potty training stuff? Cause I, I do know I seem to get a lot of requests for people who feel like they're doing potty training, right. Um, but they're still not seeing results as quickly as they would like. Um, so what is kind of your go-to for just basic potty training? And we're, we actually have an episode slated to be recorded later this week. That's going to go really, uh, real nitty gritty on potty training. So awesome. So yeah, that episode on potty training will be great. The really quick kind of 101 elevator speech for potty training is that puppies need to go outside frequently and you need to give them the opportunity to go frequently. You need to take your puppy outside every time they wake up from a nap, about 10 to 15 minutes after they eat or get a drink. Every puppy's different. If you keep a log and write down what time you feed your puppy and what time that they need to poop, you'll start to see a pattern and that lets you know when mm -hmm. they need to go out. They usually need to go out during play. Most people think that you, you kind of wait for your puppy to slow down and stop play, and then they can go outside. If they've been playing for about 10 to 15 minutes, and it varies by puppy, but about 10 to 15 minutes, they need to potty again. At our puppy day yeah. school program, we're taking puppies outside about every 10 to 15 minutes when they're awake. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and um, one I think one of the most common problems that I see coming in through my inbox is people who take the puppy outside and they're going outside with the puppy for 10 minutes. And then as they're walking back through their entryway, the puppy, the puppy is squatting. Um, what do you, what right. do you have as a tip for that sort of problem? If you take your puppy outside and they don't potty and you think that they need to go, or let's say they only peed, but you think they might need to poop, you're not going to give them free access to your house. Mm -hmm. If they don't go, then they're going straight back in their crate and you can try again in five or 10 minutes or sooner if they're fussing to get out. Or if you don't want to have to put your puppy back in their crate, you can keep them on leash with you in the house. On leash in the house is a great way to be able to supervise your puppy and have them with you and not give them access to potty or chew things up or get themselves into trouble when you're a little bit distracted. Mm -hmm. And then if, so are you kind of carrying them into the crate um, so that they, because yes. so they're not squatting in the entryway. And then if they're on this, this little, um, I've heard it called the umbilical method. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, it, you know, if you do see them squatting, are you just scooping them up and running them outside or what, um, what are you trying to do if you do see them trying to squat while they're on that, uh, that short leash? If I do see a puppy trying to squat, then it's immediately scooping them up and taking them outside to potty. Mm-hmm. And cool. then praising them when they go potty. <laughs> That's a really yeah. important part is acknowledging and praising and rewarding when they do potty outside. Yeah, absolutely. So why, um, why don't we talk a little bit about the work that you do? Cause it's just so cool. Um, and how it's a little different from kind of your average puppy daycare. Um, because again, this is just the sort of thing that every time I talk to you about your job, I just wish that this was a program that existed in more parts of the country. So maybe, uh, maybe someone will be able to hear this and start their own program somewhere. Puppy day school is different in that it's training focused with small groups of no more than 12 puppies and any more than six puppies. And we have another trainer there also. 
So this program is offered for puppies who are between nine weeks and five months old. So this is the little baby puppies. We do go on and have an adolescent and adult school for older puppies, but the puppies is that nine weeks to five months or so. Um, we offer it two days a week as it's a very intensive program. So we currently offer Tuesdays and Thursdays. Puppies have to come for a minimum of eight consecutive sessions. The way we set up the room, we have a row of crates along the back wall. Each puppy has their own crate that we provide. And then spread all across the room are all kinds of obstacles like platforms. We have a kiddie pool full of empty water bottles, a balance disc, a wobble board, pool noodles, hula hoops, toys, all kinds of things for them to explore and climb on. And then we have a fenced outdoor area for potty breaks. And we also let them play outside as well. And our, our basic routine is that puppies come in in the morning and they go straight into their crates where they get a stuffed Kong to work on. That teaches them that when they come in, it's relaxation time. We're going in, we're calming down, we're chewing, and this helps prevent puppies from being overexcited when they come in. If puppies come in and they got to go straight into playing, they're going to get more and more and more excited to come. So they're always excited to come anyway, but this helps get them the routine of just going straight in their crates to work on their Kongs. And then once we have all the puppies there and they're settled, that's when the day really starts. Throughout the day, we rotate between potty breaks and outside play. And we have training time and we have nap time. Lots and lots of nap time for puppies. Each puppy gets their own individual training session where we work on their basic cues and manners. We work on handling and grooming skills. And we also work on confidence building and body awareness. So we'll do things like vacuuming and playing thunderstorm noises and fireworks noises and anything we can think of to help these puppies learn to live successfully in their homes. And then so they're with us all day. They're dropped off between 8 and 8.30 in the morning and they're picked up between 4.30 and 5 p.m. So it's a full day of learning and playing. Yeah, it sounds, um, yeah, it sounds fabulous. I, uh, <laughs> it's yeah. a blast. Um, yeah, yeah. And I just, I love, you guys have done such a great job um, of thinking through, you know, it's not just that they're coming and they're playing nonstop with puppies as kind of quote unquote socialization. You're also focusing on grooming and vacuums and, and relaxation and teaching puppies that, hey, you can sleep in your crate in this exciting new place. Um, and I think that is and incredibly helpful, but puppy, people are still getting a tired puppy at the end of the day when they come home, because I do know as much as sometimes puppy classes get, um, get a bit of a bad rap because of some of the problems with over arousal that you can see, um, at the end of the day, a lot of puppy owners just really want to be able to drop their puppy off or go somewhere with the puppy and come home with an exhausted puppy. And, yeah, our clients uh, I love that you guys are able to do that. all of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I, uh, puppies are a ton of work, so it's awesome that, you know, I'm sure both the owners and the puppies are getting a lot out of this. So what are some of the most important things for, in your opinion, for puppy owners to tackle early on? I find the most important things to teach early on are calmness and relaxation, which also includes the ability to notice but not react to distractions and also body handling and grooming to get them used to the nail trims and brushing and prepare them for vet visits and groomers. These are things that we really emphasize at Canine Coach, where one of the first things that you teach your puppy is the settle exercise in kindergarten, where they're laying calmly as everybody else is coming in, and the classes always start with calmness. 
We have mm-hmm. a puppy package at, at Canine Coach that includes a six-week kindergarten unlimited socialization class we call Practice and Play, which is offered twice a week, and you can come to that until your puppy is five months old. You also get two seminars, and you get all your training gear, which includes a harness, long training line, treat pouch, and a clicker. And so all these things you're learning in kindergarten, all this calmness and relaxation and working around distractions, you're working on on all that in kindergarten as well as puppy day school and in practice and play. And these are real world skills you'll be applying at home and out in the world. And rewarding that solid foundation of calmness and attention makes learning all their other basic cues like sit, down, come, your manners like leash walking without pulling. It makes all that so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um, really, if most dogs could just learn a little bit of calmness and relaxation and a little bit of an engagement, which usually comes pretty easy for puppies, um, those two types of foundations just make everything so much easier. So we're going to talk about um, how to find potential dog sitters and doggy daycare areas um, in a moment. But first, we are going to take a moment to um, get a word from our sponsors. Sully, come My big black lab mix comes sprinting back to me away from the exciting distractions of the great outdoors. And he has a huge grin on his face. What's he smiling about? And how did I get that rocket recall? The answer is yummy and nutritious treats made by farmhounds. Farmhounds makes the best all natural organic treats and chews humanely farmed and pasture raised to keep your dog healthy and happy. Visit their website, farmhounds.com, and use the coupon code K9Convo to receive 25% off your purchase. Hi guys, I'm dropping into this episode to tell you about my puppy training class. I worked super hard to create this online video puppy training class that covers everything from potty training and chewing and nupping and other, you know, kind of normal puppy problems to basic socialization and some obedience, you know, sit, stay, down, all of that normal stuff. So if you've got a new puppy or you know someone who's got a new puppy, this course is a really great place to get started, especially if you're on a wait list for a puppy puppy kindergarten class, you can't get into a puppy kindergarten class, or just want something to get started on right away while your puppy is finishing up their vaccinations, because it's all online. So you can find it under the courses tab on journeydogtraining.com. And we're back. So, um, Megan, how can uh, puppy owners vet potential dog sitters and doggy daycares in their area for their puppies if they're trying to find a good place to take their, their new pups? This is a really tough question because it's really hard to trust someone to watch your dog, and especially if you have a little puppy. Here mm-hmm. in Colorado, I would start by making sure that any facility you're looking at is PACFA certified and meets the standards of cleanliness and care. Beyond that, I would look for a facility or person that's able to meet your expectations and the needs of your dog. So, for example, if you do have a calm older dog, then a large facility with constant barking probably is not going to be the best environment for your dog. If you have a really active dog, a facility without a good area to run and play may not be best. So I would suggest reading reviews and talking to the owners um, to make sure that you're comfortable leaving your puppy in their hands. Facilities can be really scary for puppies, and most facilities cannot take puppies younger than four months old as they can't have their rabies vaccine until then. So my preference is if I can find a friend or family member who can have the puppy in their home, that's usually best. Or if you have several dogs and cats like I do, I just have a friend stay at my house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I find... um 
in general. I So when I dog sit and when I'm asking someone to watch my dog Barley, I really prefer to go as the dog sitter to the person's house. And as um, as the dog owner, I like to have people come to me. I think that is just less change for the dogs as well. You know, they're already having to deal with you being out of town. So having someone else come to their place um, is often easier. And then, you know, there's no second guessing about whether or not you remember to pack all of their harnesses or their favorite toy or whatever, you know, it's there. Um, right. It's, and it's also much less the, stressful a, for everybody. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And as the dog sitter as well, um, then I don't have to do any thinking about like, oh gosh, am I a hundred percent sure that this dog that I'm watching, um, isn't going to eat my, you know, I have a lot of plants in my house and barley doesn't bother them, but you know, it's just so much easier. I think in general for most people, um, to do the, having a friend come over. Um, and then you can also, you can practice with people. Um, when I've talked to people before about, um, you know, they've said, oh, we're going to need to board our puppy. What can we do to help our puppy get ready for being at a boarding facility? Um, you know, take them there for a couple hours, go there for a half day. Um, if you know ahead of time, doing those little mini practices before you just up and leave them there for a week is probably going to make it a lot easier for your dog. Definitely. That initial meet and greet, even if it is just a couple hours, helps them a lot. And it helps you as an owner be comfortable you know, leaving your dog with someone or if someone is coming over, either way, you get to know them a little better. Your dog gets to know them a little better and it's much less stressful that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're going to pivot a little bit. Most puppies or many puppies are super enthusiastic little sponges. They're just, they're so excited about the world and most puppies are pretty good at rolling with the punches, you know, overall. Um, but some aren't, um, you know, whether that's because of the genetic cards that they've been played or because their mom was really stressed when she was pregnant with them or, you know, a super barren neonatal environment. You know, we don't always know. Um, but some puppies just come into the world a lot more nervous. So what tips do you have for some of these either ultra intense or wallflower type puppies, you know, on either end of the spectrum, these puppies that are a little bit abnormal as far as how they feel about the world? The sensitive wallflower puppies are so misunderstood and they really have my heart. I love helping these mm -hmm. guys. They've always been my favorite sorts of foster dogs too, is helping these sensitive dogs really blossom. And I struggled with this with my own puppy, Denali. She's my first dog ever. She's a Siberian Husky. I didn't grow up with dogs. I knew very little about dogs. And we knew before we got her that she was very reserved and sensitive. We met her when she was six weeks old with her breeder and we could tell she was more reserved, but she was still cute curious. So I was confident that I could help her be a social butterfly. And I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, most of my mistakes were made by forcing her into situations I knew were safe, but that she wasn't ready for and she didn't know that they were safe. So in my mm -hmm. mind, what I would do is I would show her that nothing bad was happening, right? Yep. But in her mind, it's working the opposite way where throwing her in the deep end was not teaching her to swim and she was drowning. And that's the way mm -hmm. that this tends to work is we think, oh, my puppy's scared of people. So I'll have everybody pet her and I'll take her around tons of people and then she'll realize that people are fine. But really, that's an overwhelming and traumatizing situation that actually makes it worse. So mm -hmm. what these shy, sensitive, cautious puppies need more than anything is to feel safe and to be given time. During practice and play at Canine Coach, for example, it's quite common to have a wallflower puppy. And what we do is we put a pen around them with their owners during playtime. This allows the puppy to be safe and to watch the play and to interact through the pen as they feel ready. 
And the owner can be rewarding with treats and acknowledge with praise anything the puppy does that shows curiosity and bravery and that interest in the other puppies. And then when that puppy wants to play, we'll open one side of the pen and allow the puppy to go out and come back in if they need that little retreat. And we block other puppies from following in. That way the shy puppy has a safe place to get away. And then they can't be charged and harassed by their, their new friends who are trying to play but are scaring them. And I'll also often invite that puppy to stay after class to explore as I clean up, which gives them a chance to familiarize themselves with the room and the obstacles. And they can have that own time where they can explore on their own without any pressure to interact. And then oh, similarly, that must be great. similarly in puppy day school, we'll also use pens and we may hold a puppy and try to find them an appropriate playmate to play one-on-one -on -one with. So circling back to Denali, once I learned to give her that time and to reward her curiosity and bravery and to protect her from the things that she believed to be scary, such as not by not letting strangers pet her, then she really started to bloom. And she's never going to be a touchy-feely, snuggly dog with strangers, but she trusts me and I work hard to protect that trust. So... It wasn't just people with her either. There would be things like we were on a walk and she was really startled by a big statue. Mm. And so I <laughs> took the time to give her treats for looking at the statue when we walked in circles around it and kind of zigzag closer at her own pace, rewarding her for her own curiosity and bravery until we were close enough that she could sniff it. And then she was like, oh, okay, it's just a statue. And she was good. If I drug her up there and been patting it and trying to put her up on the statue, that would have been really scary for her. So by taking the time and letting her go at her own pace, she realized the statue was okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I know you've got a couple stories of some specific dogs that you've worked with um, in puppy day school. Can you tell us about a couple of these, uh, these puppies that have made some pretty cool turnarounds with your help? Abby is the first one that comes to mind. Abby is a Labrador Weimaraner mix and she's chocolate color. She's so pretty. Um, she was about four or five months old when she started in puppy school and she was absolutely terrified on her first day. She was cowering. Her tail was tucked. Her head was down. She was baring teeth at other puppies. She was yelping and screaming and even peed herself when other puppies approached her. And so we helped her feel safe by using barriers and by interrupting the rowdier, more confident puppies from trying to pester her too much. And she was so stressed that even by herself in our training room without any puppies out, she was sitting leaning against the door of the training room where she'd been dropped off at with her eyes bulging and stress panting. And she was just so anxious to be there, which is not at all what you would expect with a young puppy, but it's surprisingly yeah. common to have puppies who are just really overwhelmed and anxious about the world. And she started slowly warming up throughout the day. And she didn't play, though, until about her third day of school. So it took her that long. And remember, these are full days that they're with us. And it took until that third day until she was ready to play. And then a month later, so after eight consecutive days of school... Abby had made a complete turnaround. She was playful. She was confident. She'd met many new puppies who had started school, and she immediately tried to make friends with them instead of being fearful of them. So she needed that time just to feel safe and to be familiarized with everything and to do things at her own pace and to have us there supporting her and helping her feel safety. 
And one of the coolest benefits of day school is that puppies do form friendships by being around the same puppies consistently. And so that set of social skills that they build by having just, you know, one friend to start helps them transfer to another puppy and another puppy until they become more social and friendly with all puppies. And they get this polite, confident sort of personality when they're greeting new puppies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And we've got a couple photos of um, Abby from day one and day eight in puppy day school um, that we'll, we'll have in the podcast right up. And it's, it's really, I actually remember when you were posting about this dog in a couple of our Facebook groups that we share. And um, yeah, it was really, really cool to see her turn around. So it's normal to feel overwhelmed with a new puppy. You know, we definitely want to feel excited and there's, should often be a lot of positive emotions, but there's also so much to do and they're really, really needy infants. Um, so what are some of the signs that a puppy might not be the right fit for you and that the amount of overwhelm that you're feeling is abnormal or too much? You can be a really great family and your puppy can be a really great puppy and you're not always going to mesh. All the signs could have matched the two of you together and it might just not work out. Or maybe you met your puppy at an adoption event and he seemed perfect and then you get him home and he's totally different. And I've helped a few clients with returning or rehoming their puppy, even very young puppies. Um, and tragically have even had a couple of very extreme behavior cases where the puppies were humanely euthanized as they could not be safely rehomed. So with the exception of when the safety of others or the puppy is a primary concern, the first thing I encourage owners to do when they're feeling overwhelmed and like it's not working out is to go all in and to commit. You've got to do your best and do everything you reasonably can, or you'll end up feeling guilty and you'll regret it if you give up your puppy. We need to make sure that we have a solid foundation of physical exercise that's appropriate for the puppy, as well as mental enrichment. We need solid management routines in place to prevent any unwanted behaviors that are causing that frustration and stress. And we need a solid training plan to reward the things that we do like and to teach appropriate behaviors. But still, sometimes you do everything you reasonably can, and it's just not a good match. And to be honest, I, I really hate the stigma around returning or rehoming dogs. And yes, I really feel strongly that we as a culture mm -hmm. need to understand that it's in the best interest of both the puppy and the family to find that particular dog a home that can meet his needs. Many of my dog trainer friends themselves have returned puppies, and we as trainers often have these very specific needs for our dogs, and we know that it would be unfair for a puppy to stay with us in a situation in which they cannot be happy and successful. Yeah, totally. I mean, I know I'm starting to look at um, getting a puppy, and I mean, the list of things that I need is pretty long, and um, you know, I really, really hope that everything works out. I'm taking a lot of steps to make sure that it will. Um, but yeah, and I, and I wholeheartedly agree. I think sometimes when I tell the story of Barley, um, you know, he, he's, he's, a, he, I mean, he's, a, he could be a tough dog in the wrong home. Um, but he was given up because, um, his family was going through a divorce. They were having, you know, just kind of, you know, everything was going wrong and something had to give, and it's you know generally frowned upon to uh, give up your children. Um, and they had three kids under the age of ten, <laughs> so um, you know, and and they they gave up they gave Barley up to the shelter, and people um, 
when I tell that story, I get a lot of people going, oh, gosh, that's such a shame. Or just, oh, some people don't know how to commit. Or, you know, whatever it is, some sort of judgy remark. And my response is, no, I am so glad they did because it allowed me and Barley to meet each other. And I firmly believe that the house and the home and the life that I'm giving him is a step up for him. And, um, you know, I, 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 I'm so glad that they were able to be brave enough to make that decision because I know it was incredibly hard for them. Um, and yeah, you're right. The stigma, I don't think the stigma is helpful and yes, there are also cases where maybe people should not have gotten a dog in the first place, but that is now not helpful right. now that they already have the dog, <laughs> um, you know? So anyway, um, so what are some of the other things that we're looking at with um, with people um, and uh, families and trying to figure out whether or not um, they're an okay match and whether they're going to be able to push through and it's just normal puppy jitters or something more? So one of the first signs that I've noticed with my own clients who we've end up rehoming or returning the puppy is that every time I see them, they walk in the door and they just let out this big sigh and roll their eyes or they're gritting their teeth and shaking their heads and they're just speaking firmly or even yelling at their puppies a bit for unwanted behavior. And the owners have all this body language that just oozes to me that they are frustrated and exhausted and overwhelmed, stressed to the point of tears. I've had several clients in tears. They are so stressed out by their puppies and they're just upset with their puppy. And that's not why you got a puppy. So we work really hard to bring the fun back into the relationship. But if it's bringing you down so much, it might not be a good fit. I most often tend to see this with the really, really energetic, busy, go, go, go type of puppies that have a really hard time calming down and turning off. Those puppies can be really hard to live with. And it's understandable that their their owners are getting so frustrated. And everybody expects a puppy to be work, but nobody expects their puppy to completely take over their lives. And when it gets to the point that the puppy's taking over, there's a problem that we really need to address quickly to adjust the, the puppy's lifestyle and your training, your management, whatever it is we can work on. And if we're doing everything that we reasonably can and you can't meet the needs of your puppy, it's okay to decide that this isn't the right puppy for you. This is one of the reasons, too, that I push really hard for people to get their puppies from responsible breeders or responsible rescues. One of my personal guidelines is that I won't buy a puppy from someone I wouldn't want to give the puppy back to. Should she not work out for me or if there's unforeseen circumstances, like you were saying with Barley and the family going through a divorce, at any point in in my dog's life, if I can't keep her, I want her to know that she has this fallback where no matter what, there's somebody else out there who loves her and cares about her and is going to keep her in a safe home and help her find the right home again. I love that. Uh, that's a really good way of um, like, that's a really kind of easy, short question to ask yourself when you're looking for a place to buy a puppy is, um, would I feel comfortable giving this puppy back? Because I think so it's it's easy. Um, I've talked to people and often these are people who are coming to me with serious behavior concerns that they're struggling with the, with their animal, where they feel like they rescued the puppy from a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Often, you know, a puppy mill um, or, uh, you know, Craigslist sort of situation um, where they really felt like they were rescuing the puppy. Um, and ultimately, they potentially were giving money to someone who is just going to turn around and do that with another puppy. So you might have saved the one puppy, but you supported a bad practice. 
Yeah, it is, it is important to go through those responsible breeders or rescues because you'll you'll actually be under contract if it's from a responsible source to take your puppy back. And that breeder or rescue will be glad to take your puppy back. And when that happens, you have so much information you can give them to help them find a, a, the right home for your, for your puppy. Um, and so one puppy I want to talk about, I met through puppy day school and I helped rehome her. She was a really, really high energy puppy. And she ended up going to a very experienced active home. She's doing dog sports like agility. And she's still a handful for that owner. And mm -hmm. the original owners had a few kids and they were just looking like a lot of people are for just that nice companion dog. And this puppy needed so much more in order to be happy. And they were heartbroken to have to make that choice and to say yeah, this isn't the right puppy and to give her up. And it ended up working out great for the puppy who now has a much more active home that's able to meet her needs. Her new owner adores her, even though she's still a handful. <laughs> and the original owners actually went back to the same breeder and got a different puppy who suits their needs better. Their breeder thought that that first puppy was going to be a great match for them. She was a great puppy. They're a wonderful family. And she was just ended up having too much energy. And it was nobody's fault. It, it was just not the right. right home for the puppy. And so in fairness to the owners and the puppy, they made that heartbreaking choice to rehome her. And now everybody's happy for it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's close out here with some talk on socialization. Um, so this absolutely could be its own episode. Maybe one day we will make it its own episode. But we've got um, we've got 10 minutes here. So let's go for it. And let's talk about socialization. <laughs> All right. The 10 minute talk for socialization. <laughs> yeah, um, go. <laughs> so as everybody knows, socialization is a really crucial part of raising a puppy. It goes so far beyond just meeting people and other dogs, though. That's really just the tip of the iceberg. And knowing how to give your puppy a positive, beneficial socialization experience is just as important as knowing that it's needed in the first place. So first, I want to talk about socializing with other dogs because a lot of people tend to focus on that. What we're finding as trainers, I don't know if you've seen this as well, um, is that puppies who meet every single dog they see and they always interact or have playtime, they very quickly end up so excited when they see other dogs that they are frantic and can't control themselves. And over time, that can turn into barking and lunging, and that turns into worsening reactivity from the frustration of it. And your super happy, excited puppy is suddenly lunging and growling at other dogs. Yeah. So it is good for your puppy to meet other puppies and appropriate adult dogs. That's really good. They should have playtime. They should go to socialization and playtime classes. But it's even more important, actually, for your puppy to learn this kind of default of calmness and the ability to watch other puppies and dogs without losing their composure. To work on that, when there's a dog my puppy sees, and I actually do this um, with people too, when they see people or any kind of distraction. So right when my puppy sees something, I mark it with a verbal yes, right when they notice. And that causes my puppy to look away from the other dog to me. And then I praise them and give a treat. 
I don't lure or ask my puppy to sit. A lot of people focus on that. You know, if you see something, you should sit still. Um, for me, I don't work on that as I want them to be able to move away if they'd like to. We keep talking mm-hmm. about this safety thing. We want puppies to feel safe with new things. And if your puppy's sitting, they don't have that ability to move away. So I play this game where my puppy looks at something. I say, yes, she looks back to me and I give her a treat. Typically, as soon as you give the treat, your puppy's going to look at the other dog or whatever distraction it is again, and that's perfect. You're going to say yes again, your puppy's going to look at you, and you give a treat. This game Mm -hmm. replaces greeting other dogs on leash or having strangers pet your dog. My personal dogs never greet other dogs on leash. As the more I've thought about it and heard input from other trainers, there's really no long-term benefit to having your dog greet other dogs on leash since it's either a really, really fun thing and causes that overexcitement, or if something bad happens, then you're causing that fear and anxiety and future interactions. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, I mean, you don't know that other dog. Right. 90% of the time. And <laughs> I mean, we've all been there where someone is approaching us and says, hey, he's friendly. And, you know, everyone's definition of friendly apparently is different. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think either, even when it, it when it goes well and the dogs want to play, um, that's not really a thing that we want happening on leash. Um, and if it's not going well, then that's also a thing we want to avoid. So, yeah, I agree. Right. Either, either way, it's, it's causing problems long term. So I find it's much more beneficial to teach my puppy that like you see a dog and you look at me for a treat and that's all you're supposed to do. And you, it just takes all that excitement and everything Mm -hmm. out of it. And we're not trying to create robot dogs who aren't excited about anything, but there's a time and a place for that excitement. And when I'm walking my dog, I don't want her super excited every time she sees a dog or another person. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, And so as you're playing this game where your puppy looks um, at whatever distraction and then looks at you for the treat, you want to make sure that they aren't staring at the other dog and also that your puppy is far enough away to feel safe. If your puppy can't look away or can't take the treat or is already jumping or barking, then all we do is move away. I say, let's go in a nice, happy, cheery voice and, and praise them as we start walking the other direction. And I'll move away until my puppy isn't looking at the other dog anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I find this game of rewarding for watching dogs calmly. It builds confidence and it keeps my puppy connected with me. And there's never any pressure to interact. And puppies who learn this game then grow into dogs who don't get that overexcited or nervous when they see other dogs. It's just that cue to look at their owner, if anything. And that's a wonderful foundation skill that I believe all puppies need to have. They need to know how to just be and exist in the presence of other beings without getting too excited or nervous. Yeah. Next, I'd like to talk about kind of the world of socialization beyond dogs and people. And it is a world. It's our whole human world. It's full of things that seem to be designed to scare dogs. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be that way. (laughs) Uh, Most scary things can be introduced in a gradual, positive, controlled way at your puppy's pace. For example, during day school, I'll play videos that have the sounds of fireworks or thunderstorms or traffic or babies crying. And... While it's playing, I scatter some of the puppy's food and their little treats all over the floor. And so we start at a a very low volume and we start tossing the treats on the floor. 
And then we increase the volume and toss a little more, increase the volume, toss a little more. And that gives your puppy a great introduction to all these sounds. And I have a really good positive association with it. And that's one of the only things we can do with things like fireworks. We can't replicate that physical feeling that fireworks have mm-hmm. in our chest, but we can teach puppies. Not with that your these- speaker system, you can't. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I said, not with your speaker system. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I need better speakers. <laughs> you just need to move into a rock stadium. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, we're able to introduce sounds at a, at a low level where it is safe and the puppies aren't totally freaked out by it. And we can increase the volume up until it's pretty darn loud. And then they at least have that a little bit of foundation for things that are potentially scary, like fireworks. We can help them get used to these sounds at low volumes and gradually increase the volume, and that gives your puppy a great introduction to sounds. This is a huge section of socialization that often gets overlooked. Another huge section often overlooked is the grooming and handling. That also counts as socialization. You need to be practicing looking in your puppy's ear, followed by giving a treat, and lifting their paw and giving a treat. Turn on your hair dryer and give them a treat. You want to teach them in these small baby steps that having their nails done and having their teeth checked and having their tail lifted and being brushed is this soothing, relaxing, positive experience that you do together. I always think of handling and grooming as something I'm doing with my dog, not something I'm doing to my dog. I really want them to be a cooperative part of that experience. Um, So next, we want to talk about going to different locations and taking advantage of different surfaces and textures, um, those kinds of things they feel under their feet. Some puppies end up really aversive to walking on slick floors or a certain kind of texture. So the more variety you can give them as a puppy, the better off they'll be as an adult. So I'm always looking for different surfaces like carpet, wood floors, tile, maybe a metal drain cover on the sidewalk, playground equipment, if dogs are allowed on it, has all kinds of fun textures. Um, And there's other things at parks and stuff like statues, puddles, if there's a fountain, you can be looking for experiences like riding in an elevator or walking through automatic doors. Those are all things that could be potentially very scary to your puppy if they're unfamiliar with it. We don't know what things might scare our puppies. We're used to our human world. They're not. They just got born. Mm like what, two, three months ago, maybe four months. So when you're out exploring (laughs) things, they are very, very new to this world. So you want to go as slow as you can. Keep the exposure brief if your puppy is nervous. Have fun, be positive, be a cheerleader for your puppy. Let your puppy sit back and observe if they're curious but not sure about approaching. And be genuinely proud of your puppy for any bit of bravery or confidence they show towards something they're hesitant about, even if they don't fully complete a new experience the first time. Socialization is about having this positive, beneficial experience with something new. You can also work with things that move like skateboards, bikes, joggers, weird looking people. Again, your puppy just got born. They haven't seen any of this stuff before. It's potentially scary, potentially super exciting. You can play that game where they notice it and you say, yes, good puppy and give them a treat and play that game as these weird things go by. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And you'll, I, I find when I'm with puppies, I will start to see 
kind of categories that that puppy might be more comfortable or less comfortable with. And you can kind of start leaning into that a little bit. So I fostered a litter of, um, gosh, they were Doberman Husky mixes. They were oh my goodness. crazy cute. Um, I'm sure they're uh, handfuls now that they'd probably be three years old now. Um, but um, they were all um, really confident with people, um, you know, people with walkers, people in wheelchairs, people with sunglasses, all that. They were totally fine with that. But other dogs and animals um, were a big issue for them. And then surfaces seemed to be fine. They didn't really have any problems walking over couch cushions or, you know, scrabbling around in the bathtub or whatever else I could do with them. Um, but movement, you know, stuff like bikes was really, really scary for them. They were all hitting the deck whenever cars went by. Um, so what I was seeing with those guys was different categories of things that were harder or easier for them. And you'll see that with your puppy as well in most cases. And, you know, some puppies do just kind of, they exude this like cheery confidence. Um, but also a lot don't. So if your last couple puppies you've been really lucky with and you're not seeing that with your new one, don't despair. It doesn't mean that your puppy is, um, defective. It, just uh, you got lucky with those first ones. And that's not unusual because we do have, you know, there's always some babies are easier than others. I was, t I'm told that when I was a little baby, I was pretty happy and cheery um, and pretty easy. And my younger sister was like a really colicky, screamy, nervous, very unhappy little baby <laughs> for the first six or eight months of her life. And, you know, we we're full siblings. So um, just because you get a puppy from the same breeder or the same breed doesn't mean you're going to have the same puppy experience. All right. Well, that was a lot. Um, but I think that was really, really helpful for people. I know this is something I'm going to probably go back and listen to myself later on as I'm getting closer and closer to getting a puppy. Um, so before we go, Megan, um, I know you have a couple things to tell us about and tell our listeners about. Um, so why don't you tell them where they can find you and anywhere that you want them to check out before we head out? Sure. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. It was really fun to talk all about puppies. I love puppies. <laughs> First, I want to mention Canine Coach, which is owned by Linda Brennan. They have the fabulous comprehensive puppy package, which uh, has puppy day school as a supplemental program. And that's the program that I run. I also want to make a shout out to Synergy Animal Rescue run by Carla Naden in San Diego, California. They specialize in rescuing senior dogs who often have disabilities. Her mission and goal is to restore these dogs' souls for whatever time remains and to give them the dignity and respect to the end. And it was through Carla that we fostered and then adopted Amaze Bob, our little two-legged senior toy poodle, who we had the honor of loving madly and giving him everything we could for a few years for the few years he had left. And Synergy's website is animalsynergy.org. That's such a cool program. Um, yeah, I just found out a program about a program here in Missoula um, that does phosphorus sort of care for senior cats. And uh, I had my eye on this 15 year old diabetic cat that I really wanted to bring home, but he actually just got adopted. I got okay. someone beat me to the 15 year old year old diabetic cat. But um, I'm I sure love the seniors. I have such a heart for oh them. I love them. <laughs> Yeah, I just I love that program. And again, everyone who's listening, like seriously, check out Canine Coach if you're in the area. And if you are someone who runs a dog, um, a dog school of some sort, and you'd love to hear more, I'm sure that Megan and Linda Brennan would be happy to talk to you a little bit about the program, because it's really, as far as I can tell, it's one of the best in the country. <laughs> and um, I haven't heard of anything else that um, sounds anywhere near as comprehensive for puppies. 
So um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, our theme music is called Funny Song, and it's provided royalty-free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James Edie at beheard.org.uk, and our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. And my name is Kayla Fratt. You guys can find me online at journeydogtraining.com. Uh, I'm on YouTube and Pinterest and Instagram and all, you know, Facebook, wherever, uh, just, you know, journey dog training, you'll find me. Um, and, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening.